Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than watching Nickelodeon on weekday afternoons. With Clarissa Explains It All, Sister Sister, Keenan and Kel, Hey Arnold, I love Orange Soda. My name's Ash Rose, your host and guide on this, the original 1990s football podcast, Alive and Kicking. Hope you're well, thank you very much for downloading this. Hope you're surviving in this beast from the east. No, not Bam Bam Bigelow. He was a wrestler in the 90s. That horrible storm that's come in from, oh, I don't know, Syria or something, it's saying it's coming from, but it's been horrible. I've been pretty much snowed in. Here in Kent, I've seen more snow than I think I've ever seen in my entire life. We're on day four, and it's just everywhere. My drive is completely covered. The cars need to be dug out. It's horrible. So I hope wherever you are, you're safe, you're okay, and you've just got your hot cocoa, your cup of tea, or whatever else, and you sat down and you're listening to a slice of 90s football action, which is the second one this week. Yes, have you checked out our new additional show here on Alive and Kicking? We're trying to bring you it every week, as long as there's stuff to talk about, but if you haven't downloaded it already, I encourage you to do so. It's Alive and Kicking this week in the 90s. Me and a couple of regular boys, at the moment it's been Joel and Matthew Christ, we've been discussing what happened this week, pretty much 20 to 30 years ago in the 1990s. Um, just an additional slice for you here. We want to give you more, and we've given you more. Indeed, we have with an additional show every week. So you've got two shows of 90s goodness for you to listen to, and uh, what better time when you're snowed in in this horrible Arctic weather. I've seen icicles bigger than I've ever seen icicles, actually. I can see them now from my office. This weather is absolutely crazy. I really hope everyone is safe and okay in this crazy Arctic weather. Um, I'm going to make this intro pretty short because it's it's quite a long show today um, and for those who've read the blurb and thought oh this probably wasn't isn't one for me I mean the main theme is talking about a cult classic TV show from the 90s because it's 20 years ago last week that Renford Rejects first aired on Nickelodeon kind of niche but kind of came up with some great memories um, not just from myself and today's guest on today's show um, but also you guys on Twitter I put a picture out of the Renford gang from the first series and you guys really went wild for it yeah especially the cast uh, we speak to one of the cast today Martin Delaney who played Jason Summerby in an interview it is quite long but really interesting to hear not only his view of football in the 90s the TV show but how it all worked and how the Renford rejects came together so stay tuned for that but let's have a few memories from some of our listeners and people on Twitter uh, Claire Southern says I used to watch it every time it was on I still have a really big crush on Martin Delaney even though I'm still a girly girl I'd never miss an episode Martin, we're setting you up there. Get involved, mate. Get involved. Um, Tom Weller, who actually played um, the leader of the bad, uh, the Razors, weren't they? Were called in um, Renfrew Rejects. He had a <laughs> he had a right old time on Twitter with us, um, and he said, "Who didn't have a crush on Martin? The man's an Adonis." So there's a lot of bants going back between those two. Um, and there's a lot of feeling that we should get it back on the TV as well. Uh, Michael Bell says, "Need to show, get, need to get this show back, or at least get the reruns on, start to finish." Uh, Scott Tweed, friend of the show, who's been on it before, says, genuinely wishing I was in that team. Such a brilliant show. Andrew Lee Davis says, bizarre choice of title song, even though Australia by the Manic Street Preachers is a belting track. We talk on the show today about the soundtrack to it because it was brilliant. Uh, Colin Pepet says, reminded me of a PE teacher at my school. He suddenly flip and starts screeching in rage out of nowhere. I think he's comparing them to uh, the, the coach you see in the first episode, who's played by Bill Homewood who's also on Twitter and has replied on this thread. Check it out. Um, then lastly, Timeless Football. Um, they posted a picture of a uh, shirt that they got made with Degrady and 10 on the back. Of course, Bruno, 
Edward Coppock says, my memories are that I love the music in the show and the look and the feel of the show and how classic it was, how brilliant were the cast. There were so many things I loved about that show. Mark Eady says, for those interested, season one episode, it was on Wednesday at 3am on Nickelodeon. So there's still reruns. If you want to stay up or you can't get to sleep or the snow is getting to you at 3am, watch Renfrew Rejects. Uh, Christopher Guest says, a remake should happen. Would Jason somebody bring it back for the Renford Rejects as manager? That would be good. We do discuss that with Martin, actually. Uh, Pete Weymouth says, the episode when Bruno went Swedish, Bjorn Gradsen, that's a great episode as well. Um, and then lastly, Woken Ty Marshall said, Never missed an episode. Well, we get into it. We discuss it quite at length, not just with uh, Martin Delaney in the interview and my guest on today's show, someone I really, really wanted to get on for ages, a top man, a good friend and really into his 90s football. Big Charlton fan, so we sort of delve into a bit of Charlton from the 90s. We also talk about Dennis Burkamp, stickers, games, Leon Happ, journalist and a podcaster for a uh, brilliant wrestling podcast called Because WCW, if you're into that sort of thing. He joins me on the show and as I said, Martin Delaney is also our interview. So sit back, enjoy the snow or enjoy this podcast it is alive and kicking i'm ash rose and this is the rentford rejects sit back and enjoy a nostalgic ride through the decade that truly changed the face of football if the 90s are now retro then it's time for a celebration welcome to alive and kicking the 90s football podcast Welcome back to Alive and Kicking, where today we are talking about a cult TV classic from the 1990s. Get ready for our take on Rentford Rejects. Yes, that's all to come here on today's show. But first, let me introduce our guest on today's show. He is somebody I've been trying to get on Alive and Kicking pretty much from the first few episodes. Uh, somebody I've got a lot in common with. We share a love for 90s football, of course. Uh, he supports a team in an area where I grew up, so we've got that South East London thing down. We've got a daughter around the same age, and I'm sure we'll get to know each other even more on today's show. Uh, it's a two-man booth, and he's no stranger to that. He is part of the brilliant Because WCW podcast, which if you're into your wrestling of that era of the 1990s and the late 90s into the 2000s, where WCW was well because WCW, listen to the podcast and find out why, listen to it. He's also a writer, editor, producer for Yahoo Sport, 442, Boxing Monthly and the set pieces and loads more. Finally, welcome to the show, Leon Happ. How you doing, buddy? Finally, indeed. Thanks for having me, Ash. It's, it's good to get this, you know... We've finally got one on the board. We have, we have indeed. Like I said, we've been talking about this for, for a long, even far back when we first did, I think the first mentioned, because you're a Charlton fan, as I said, we mentioned the, the games of the season, I think, pod we did, which is probably in our first five or six podcasts. And we obviously want to talk about that 4-4, which I'm sure we'll go on to uh, in just a bit. But yeah, since that point, and we're now on episode, I don't know even what episode it is, I think we're on 67. So yeah, it's been time to get you on. And I'm very pleased to finally have you on. Big fan of your work, um, especially the WCW stuff. Um, people know I cross over to wrestling, so I'm sure that might come up as well. Um, but first, you're a first-time guest, and we haven't done many of these for a while. Um, football CV, 90s football CV, as I like to call it. Um, so Cholton in the 90s, um, very different. We haven't spoke much about Charlton other than that podcast I mentioned earlier. Who was your favourite Charlton player of the 90s? 
Oh, and to be honest, I think a lot of Charm fans who followed them in the 90s would agree with me. And I was a guy who, you know, I got into football and Charlton in the 90s. So it was very early doors for me. But one player stood out, especially towards the end of the decade when Charlton came into their own and became the darling of the football league, you could say, <laughs> with, that, with that playoff win and that good little run they did embark on the top flight. The, the guy who stood out for was one Richard Rufus. Uh, his his reputation isn't so hot. I know he was in some legal trouble a couple of years ago, but at the back for Charlton, he was fantastic. And Alan Kirby, maybe a little bit of bias as the manager, he referred to him as perhaps one of the one of the best English players to never get capped. And I don't think he was too far off the mark. He was a no nonsense defender. Mm. Uh, he got he finally got his goal in that four four, much deserved, and the time of it was just so poignant, so beautiful. We were kind of robbed of him in our absolute peak in the in the early two thousands. Just a you know injuries would rack up. By the time we had that best ever season, though three oh four, he he actually had to retire. I dread to think how good that side would have been if they had Gary Rowett and Richard Rufus still completely fit. But Sailor V, Richard Rufus was the man in the nineties for me. Yeah, he's someone. Yeah, very much underrated because I mean I. I'm a QPR fan, as people know on this, but I grew up in South East London, Charlton were my local club, so I saw a lot of Charlton, have a lot of friends at the time and still do. My best friend is a Charlton fan, so I know, you know, in the depths of the club, I know how respected Richard Rufus was and I know how underrated generally he was. Um, I mean, as a team, we'll talk about Charlton as a team in just a second, but I think there are a lot of players like Richard Rufus who came close to get in that England cap like Chris Powell did eventually he was probably the one that did finally get a, you know international recognition but yeah good choice five caps yeah yeah mm, no, very it's, much deserves Fengor and Exxon's first squad if I remember rightly we're going slightly into the next decade but yeah, was... <laughs> yeah he was such a trivia question was Chris Powell with that first cap of his yeah because like, quite late in his career as well if I remember right but yeah Rufus was 31 the, yeah 31 and Rufus was definitely should have been at least, do you know who he reminds me of and this is kind of a, a QPR like Danny Maddox Again, someone really <laughs> yeah. underrated. I think if you if he played for your team, you saw the quality that he had, but never quite because they never moved to a you know so soon so so more fashionable in quotes bigger club. They never got the recognition they deserved. I think Glenn Hoddle at one point called Maddox the best man marker in the division. I think we were in the Championship or First Division as it was called then at the time. But for that, the in then England managed to say that it says a lot. And I it, it always I always put those two in the same sort of category whereas they were no nonsense did their job and kind of went under the radar but great great defenders Clive Wilson is another one but slightly different because he came late in his career um outside of the valley then and you weren't always at the valley of the 90s as we know but who was your favorite player of the 90s uh I th- I th- there's a there's a long list for this yeah I mean I've got I've got someone but it did take a lot of due consideration because yeah like with a lot of guys you have on here, there's just so many players that fit that romantic territory in a in a nostalgic part of your head. But I'm gonna have to go forward and and take what I'm assuming is a popular pick is one Dennis Bergkamp. Yeah, he is. I mean, not the. I mean, Cantona and uh, Gascoigne are probably the two best names and the most popular that we've had for that question. But Bergkamp's not. Bergkamp's one of mine because I think he's the best foreigner still the Premier League has ever seen. But tell me why um, Bergkamp is for you. Well, 
first and foremost, there's the Ajax connection. As far as football outside of England went, I didn't have much exposure to it in the 90s as a kid, as a teenager. But there was little drips and it would slowly but surely become something that would see me you know, get really into all sorts of world football, especially places like the Bundesliga and MLS I really have a soft spot for. And you know, I've covered football all over the you know, several continents now. Uh, that all started for me with a, a just a big love, a big boy crush on Ajax in the mid-90s, who would obviously go on to win the Champions League in 1995. Now, now Bergkamp was, you know, he, he'd moved on by that point, but I immediately took a shine to anyone of the Ajax Dream Factory, anyone of that sort of... Uh, uh, you know, Dutch players, players of the Dutch club mentality. Obviously, the Premier League has a very rich tradition of players coming over from Eredivisie and, and doing quite yeah. well, making a bit of a seamless jump. Um, so I always had a soft spot for that anyway. And what I liked about Bergkamp is, yeah, he, he was one of the absolute best. But I think the best way I can put it as, as to why I like him and admire him so much is I remember that's, that Arsene Wenger, Arsenal side of the late 90s, and it was continuing the early 2000s as well. They were a side who, were, unless you were an Arsenal fan, they were very, very hard to like. As with a lot of successful sides, they were just, you know, marauding and yeah. arrogant and their fans were unbearable. Well, that changed and, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously, the, the, the less they succeed, the more humble they're forced to be unless you watch Arsenal fan TV. Yeah. Other and they, and they managed to they, they managed to subvert it and flip it on its head. Otherwise, yeah, the the success really makes them unbearable. And they had a lot of arrogant, sneering players as well. They had a few divers, a few cheats. Yeah, you know, not they're not the only ones too, but they did at the time. And yet, you'd watch Dennis Bergkamp score the winning goal or several goals in a game, and you just couldn't bring yourself to dislike him. You, it was impossible. You would still love Dennis Bergkamp, but hate everyone wearing a similar shirt around him. So that, that for me, go that speaks volumes about just how much of an icon he was for me. Yeah, for me, I don't think still I've seen a footballer like Dennis Bergkamp. He's it was so different. His touch, I mean, his touch is just ridiculous. And that goal, which was in the next decade, but the Newcastle goal, only Dennis Burkamp for me could score that goal. I think it was he was a player. Didn't have a lot of pace, but he's quick off the mark. So his brain was ahead of everyone else. And the goals he used to score. I mean, we talk about that goal, Newcastle. But I think we did top ten goals on that on the website once. And the goal at the '98 World Cup. That touch from that Ronald De Boer ball is one of the most amazing first touches I've ever seen from a footballer. He's for me, I can't say enough good things about Dennis Bergkamp. Magician. Oh, yes. And uh, like, like a lot of the very best Dutch players, I thought he, he transcended position as well. You know? yeah. he, was, he was far too creative to be considered an out-and-out striker. He was far too proficient to be considered a, an attacking midfielder. He, he was just a total package. And you couldn't pigeonhole him in any way, shape or form. He was the, the, the number ten before the number ten existed, really, wasn't it? Before, he? before it was called, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, so now he uh, ahead of his time, and uh, somebody I'd like to. I mean, he's in the IX coaching staff now, I believe. Or what? He, did he just leave? He was there at one point, wasn't he, with Overmars? Yeah, uh, there were, there, there's been a lot of changes. Yeah, there's been a lot of, been a lot of politics. Him. Yeah, he, he, his knowledge and his just his name should not should always be in the game I'd love to see him back in the country maybe at Arsenal if they decide to get rid of Wenger but that's not for me to decide on this 90s podcast um, 
The main sort of bulk of today's show um, will be focusing on a, an occult classic TV show, which we'll go to in a second. But I just wanted to chat a little bit about Cholton because we haven't spoken much about them. And they had such an up and down decade in the 90s, what with the move from the Valley. I first saw Cholton myself, I think, at Upton Park. Um, I can't remember they were playing, but it was a very dire nil-nil game. And I went with the school and I had this little lunchbox they used to pack for you on those school visits. And they had Cholton all over it and stuff. Um just sum up, I mean, how things changed for Cholton from sort of the two halves of the decade. It really was a rise towards the end. And then you had that famous 4-4 at Wembley. It really was a crescendo to what really was desperate times at the beginning of the decade, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I would say Cholton spent the majority of the 90s the way they've spent the majority of their existence. So if you, if you took every league division and league finish in their history and worked out an, an average to, to decide where history dictates they generally belong, they'd be plodding along comfortably in the second tier. Uh, and that's exactly what they did for the majority yeah. of the 90s. Uh, and it was it, it was a pretty pedestrian decade that was punctuated by two big things. One, as you touched upon, you had the return to the Valley after such an exile starting in 85 and and the club at the moment are going through a, a, an attack on their identity with foreign owners who don't understand the, the heritage of the club and the history and what the fans care about and this this is obviously this is something that sits in the fans minds as the the forefront ultimate um, attack on their identity was losing their home and finally, after all those years at Selhurst and a season at Upton Park, they went back in 1992. It's, it's in the lyrics of all the club-related club songs. Mm-hmm. And it was a big It was a moment I didn't get to enjoy personally. You know, I was seven. Football was still just something that occasionally popped up on TV from us, still just slowly getting into it at that point. But that was one of two big moments that day. The other one is obviously for Fort Wembley, and this was when I was really starting to get. Yeah. And it was it was one of the games that turned me. I was fortunate enough to get invited to go to the game. I was probably considering all the people who'd have loved to have been there who who knew Cholton inside and out. I was probably very fortunate to have to have had a seat there, but it's how it happens sometimes, and that's and that's how fans become fans for a very long time. That's what that that's what stuck it for me. You know, when they went up, they they came back down oh, with a bit of a fight. They went down the last day of the nine eight nine nine season. I suppose strictly for the purpose of this podcast, that that's it. Yeah, kaput. But I'll I'll put in a little epilogue. Yeah, sneak and say, it. Yeah, sneak it. Yeah, they they put they put in a little uh, post decade peak when they went up as champions in nine nine two thousand. Which is something you don't often no, see in football, in now as well. Yeah, someone, some, you know, the the, the club kept Alan Kerbish, they kept him as manager. They thought, right, we gave it a go. We we went down, but we'll try again. Obviously, the money makes it hard to take this mentality. Now they went at it again, and they were even better. Not only did they go up as champions, they stayed up for seven years, which for Charlton, trust me, is punching well above our weight. Mm. No, I remember it vividly because at the time I was at school, um, I. I was at school in Woolwich, so it should have been a Cholton haven of, of fans. But there was a few, but there weren't many. The the day, probably two days or whatever, I think it was on a, was it a Sunday or a Monday, that that playoff final? I can't remember if it was a bank holiday weekend. It usually is. But the, day, the next day in school, suddenly everybody was a Cholton fan again. I just remember going, hang on, you were a Man United fan last week, but it... it it helped the club become more established in the, you know, the fan base and everything. And as much as I didn't like it, I was the random QPR fan in South East London who was like, hey, come on, what are you doing? 
But that I remember that game vividly, watching it. I mean, the, we mentioned Richard Rufus earlier, but that team it had so many players like that. You know, John Robinson, Clive Mendonca, Andy Hunt. These players who were kind of journeymen, really, especially the, those front two. But collectively, Curbs, you know, built this team, um, and they were as good as the sum of their parts, really, weren't they? You had young Danny Mills at the time, Mark Kinsella, obviously, who went on to be an Irish international. It really was a great team ethic. It, not unlike, you know, the sort of mid-table teams you see now. I'm not going to go as far as, say, as Leicester, because they did, obviously, amazing things. But you had a really good team spirit down the valley of that team, didn't you? Yeah, uh, this is the sort of thing that Charlton fans mostly expect of their side, regardless of the success levels. They want to see a team working as one, working for each other. It's the sort of thing they they consider to be synonymous with the club, and I really respect that. Um, a, a recent example would be, you know, we're in League One now, but the last time before this we were in League One, the club went through a rough patch, had a had a very short-term takeover from a consortium that just stopped us from going into administration. And they appointed Chris Powell as manager. And Chris Powell was the... You know, we had some guys who tried and we had some nightmarish appointments as manager. But Chris Powell, you know, he's from that from that generation. Yeah. He played for us in the 90s, uh, very late 90s. He came on very late on. But um, he brought that mentality back. And that's what everyone expects to see, regardless of what's happening on and off the pitch. That's what people want to see at Charlton. And they were, because there was there was a period where, you know, in the Premier League, we were signing some some very good players, like Dennis Romelos and that. And when they weren't playing too well, and they played badly more than they played well, unfortunately, the, the fa- fans didn't recognise the side. They'd rather have that that sort of. You know, hard-working, under-the-radar player, punching above their weight. And that's why it's not just because it's an amazing game. and Maybe the game of the decade, one of the best yeah, games out of the ever games seen. Decade, yeah, yeah uh, not only that, but it was it was an iconic moment. It was it, it was synonymous with a spirit of Charlton that every fan expects to see there from here on out. Mm. No, it was it was very yeah good times and uh, you know that game is remembered obviously for the penalty shootout that horrible Sunderland kit one of the worst kits of the decade. There's not many kits I don't like of the nineties, but that was definitely one of them. But two was it two hat tricks in that game? Definitely Mendonca got a hat trick, didn't he? Mendonca got the hat trick and Phillips got two if I remember rightly. But it was that great Sunderland team as well. So yeah, one of the games of the decade. And um, we've talked about it at least twice on here in different shows. So go back in the archives and and have a look. Because uh, yeah, and Charlton of course went on to do as uh, Liam said there. They went on to be in the Premier League sadly didn't last season but went up again as champions in the next decade I had a lovely kit you went through the accrue kit didn't you if I remember rightly in that um, first season in the Premier League the it was like the in thing of the 90s everyone seemed to have this accrue colour that only happened in the 90s I remember Danny Mills wearing that black and well it's cream basically but that was an, a nice kit I mean, as you know on here I like my kit so yeah, I always remember that kit from the from that season um, yeah, and you're, you're the first person I've heard call it a crew to me. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the cream kit, we call it. The yeah. cream kit. It's a, I but don't yeah, mean, it's a very nice kit. Very very simple, very basic, very effective. Yeah, it was a coxball teeth, wasn't it? It was a colour that in the late 90s, I think Liverpool had it, West Ham had it. It was just, it came and went. It, it was called, a, it stuck in my mind. I don't even know if it's it's a correct pronunciation or if it's even true, but a crew was apparently the, the stupid name for that colour. But we'll call it cream. Nice kit. There's also a lovely purple and uh, green kit that Charlton had in the 90s as well. More um, than one. <laughs> yes, exactly. We'll talk more Charlton later, but um, let's talk about 
Renford Rejects. Now this is oh, yes. yeah. Now this is a TV show. Um, to be honest, when I got you on, I thought we'd have a plethora of people who want to talk about it, but it's actually more niche than I thought it would be. A lot of people remember it, but don't remember it as much as I thought they would, or a fuzzy memory. I mean, I watched it. I had to go back and kind of refresh myself. But there are people I spoke to I thought would love it. Would like, oh no, I never watched that. Um, I think so. It's very niche, very cult classic, but it's very, very nineties. Um, and Liam is thankfully somebody who does remember it, so it was a good reason to get him on the show. Um, quick setup for those who don't remember it. It was on Nickelodeon. It was the first British-made TV show for Nickelodeon because it was an American channel that then made its own UK version. First British show that it made. It was set around um, a, oh, a five-a-side tournament team, really, who didn't get in their school team. So they're a bunch of rejects, as the title suggests, uh, that compose of uh, Jason Summerby, who was the leader and captain, who, if you go back, is actually kind of reminds me of a very weak version of Jay from The Inbetweeners. Lies a lot, bigs himself up, but isn't very good at football, but ultimately has got a heart of gold as well. Um, so he, he was the uh, captain. You had the coach, um, Steve, who was in it, and he was injured, but he was actually quite a good footballer, but he was injured in the first episode. Um, Robin Walker was the girl that everybody fancied at the time and there was always this weird kind of um, sort of romance angle with her and Jason of course Bruno de Grady who was actually Barry but he spoke in an Italian accent the whole time Ben Phillips the goalie and then a couple of others as well we'll talk about Vinny Rodriguez the commentator but essentially they were a team of rejects put together and it was their adventures playing the Razors who were the, the proper big team um, of, of the uh, the soap or TV show if you want to call it um, and it was their adventures of, of playing football and not doing it very well and it, uh, it produced four seasons from 1998 to 2001 on Nickelodeon apparently it's still shown late at night so if you're ever up at three o'clock in the morning apparently Nickelodeon still show this which I wasn't aware of until actually one of the characters told me um, Tom Waller who played uh, Terry Stoker the Razor captain um, before we talk more about the sort of episodes and characters or even the cameos, what are your first or what was the first memories when I said the words Renford Rejects to you, Liam? Basically, it was a big smile on my face from ear to ear. <laughs> oh, man, those were the days. It brought back many happy memories. And it's not even just uh, football-related happy memories. This is this is an era of, you know, as I said about my Charlton fandom in the 90s, I was very much a... Uh, a kid, a teenager, early teenager at best in the 90s. And when this show was, was happening, I think it, it first came on the screens when I was 12. It's a perfect age for me. You know, I'm, I'm watching things like that and Keen and Kel and that. <laughs> yeah. Always, to be honest, I still watch that sort of yeah, thing now. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, as, as you said, because it was a bit of a trailblazer in from a production and from a, you know, we, we have some football-based adult and kid TV dramas, but not much. And you, mo most people who like sort of things can remember everything from Dream Team to the Hurricanes. That was the cult, yeah. to be, you know, there's so few of them. You normally can remember them all without missing out many. Uh, so it sticks in your head because of that. It was it was just a breath of fresh air. And it had so many little things about it I really liked, even before you get into the things like the characters and the jokes and things like that. The first thing that stands out for me, as I think it will a lot of people, is a soundtrack. Oh, it's got an uh, absolutely awesome soundtrack. Oh, t if it came out 10 years later, the producers would have had pound signs in their eyes yeah. and actually released the CD <laughs> with the best songs from it because, you know, we, we, this was about five, six years 
before that became a thing that everyone did uh, by capitalising on popular yeah. um, TV shows and stuff like that with CD soundtracks. And yeah, if, if they'd have been around a little later, that's exactly what they'd done. And it would have been an amazing CD. Yeah. Well, I was just going through the first episode earlier. And I, the, the theme tune, which I'd completely forgotten until I watched it to Rent of Rejects was Australia by the Manic Street Preachers I mean that's just not a 90s classic that's a bloody credible 90s classic um, that's it, a classic full stop yeah what a great song and it really suits a football themed TV show when you watch it but then going through the episode they play um, well look at my notes now Edwin Collins A Girl Like You which when Robin Walker first walks into it which again of that era was a classic song Dodgy you know, you can't be the 90s without playing a bit of dodgy, good enough for you. And then the Lightning Seeds. I mean, that is, I mean, I think I have a Brit Awards album from about 1997 that has all those people on it anyway. Um, and like you say, if they had a soundtrack to that, I mean, Sugar Coated Icebergs, that's another Stonewall tune. So they, oh, were, yes. they were up on the kind of zeitgeist of the music at this point, let alone, you know, making a football, as you mentioned sort of program like Dream Team which was obviously an adult one but for kids and I was about the same age as you and I think that that was perfect you know I absorbed everything football at that point to have a football TV show on Nickelodeon either side of Keenan and Kel and Sister Sister and whatever else Clarissa explains it all it was just it was perfect viewing and it just added was this kind of I mean it's not the best acted thing, as, as you know. As much as we sp- I speak, we speak to Jason Summerby a little later in the show, and he first went on to admit that they were very green in what they were doing. But it's not the worst. I mean, it's, there's some great actual funny lines in it, both for kids watching it and the adults. Yeah, I mean that that is really that's the business model of these sort of shows. Yeah. It's, it's it's not just entry level stuff for us viewers. Uh, who you know we're, we're not watching CBeebies level stuff, but we're 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 not quite at a level where we're watching like the nine o'clock dramas and, and stuff like that. So that's entry level for us as a semi-serious thing as as viewers, but it's, it's very much entry level for a lot of these uh, budding actors who need some more serious exposure. And a few of them went on to bigger and better things. A few of them, I believe, went horizontal and got more into theatre and things like that. So, but for, but as you said, for for them at this point. This was where they're going to iron out the creases. And you don't mind because it's such a, a light thing. That's exactly what it's for. I wanted to go back quickly to the music thing for one thing. I was, uh, there was one uh, tune I was really hoping you were going to name drop. Because you didn't. <laughs> go on, I have do to do it for you. No, do um, it. Rob Dugan, Club to Death. Oh, right. Now, yeah. there'd be an instrumental score that will be played whenever the Razors or, the, or as, yes. as, the far, as the coach called them, the Razors. Yeah. Over would, the top uh, coach, yeah, yeah, razors, and he, the guy, basically the guy who actually calls them the rejects, he doctors their entry yeah, form, he does, calls yeah. them rejects, and they wear it as a badge of honour. Um, and they play Rob Dugan's club to death, and I, I would always remember it's one of the things that, yeah, I, I have to look back a little bit and remind myself of a lot of this show because it's not exactly saying I watch now. Mm. I, I think the last time I encountered an episode was about six or seven years ago. And um, so I remind myself a lot of things, but that tune was one thing I did not have to remind myself of. And I spent many years, as we slowly got into the 2000s and you had things like Napster and you had the internet to search and research things, <laughs> I was looking for this tune and, and it weren't, you know, there was no Shazam or anything. You couldn't just instantly find it out. No. You, could, you couldn't just get up an episode on YouTube and then Shazam the soundtrack. You had to do things the old-fashioned way. And it took me years to find out that that awesome tune 
was clubbed to death by Rob Dugan. And that helps make it even more of a memorable thing for me. The fact that I had to hunt it down so hard. But yeah, I always think of Renfrew Rejects when I hear it. Yeah. And I've heard it, a, a lot of football grounds use it as a pre-match thing because they it's do. got that yeah. build-up yeah. ominous sort of, it's perfect for it. Yeah. It's such a football, another, you know, they use things like Ready to Go by Republica. Oh, they, they, they knew what, not just what songs were cool at the time, but what songs were, were so football ready. Yeah, well, that used to be, a th- I'm sure ITV or Sky have used Republica for their, I think, international coverage. I think Sky used it, maybe even many, in the 90s. Yeah, many places have. Yeah, it's, 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 it was been... ready-made for football coverage, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, you mentioned there about the people that have been in it and went on to do stuff. Um, I think the most famous couple, really, is uh, Mo George, who went on to be Gus in his, in his Denders. He was in the third series as the coach of the Renfrew Rejects. He's probably the most famous sort of in the UK but in the second series so Robin Walker was the first girl there was always a girl in each of the series uh, she left for the Chelsea team at the end of series one and in series two she was replaced by Sue White who was played by Lucy Punch who now is one of Hollywood's one well lead leading's probably far-fetched but she is punch she just really sort of pop up in a lot of films she was like uh, Dinner with Schmucks uh, a lot of those sort of comedies that you see but if you you see her face Lucy Punch you'll you'll definitely recognize her she's gone on to uh, to do a lot of Hollywood Jason Summerby who we'll speak to in a bit he's still acting um Robin Walker is now a personal trainer um Bruno de Grady who we'll talk about in a second with his Italian accent he's now in theater which we think of the con the, uh, the juxtaposition there of what he was doing in Renford Rejects to what he does now, a lot of Shakespeare and stuff. And then there's Vinny Rodriguez, who was the commentator. You know, the, before these YouTubers started doing what they're doing, he was doing exactly what they were doing on Renford Rejects in 1998, walking around with a camera, filming himself and, and, and recording what was going on. He's in some new Netflix show based on Cloverfield. So, you know, it's not, it's not a bad beat, uh, breeding ground for these guys. Um, what's, you know, we mentioned the characters there, Liam. What, who's, who stands out for you? I mean, I think Bruno is the one that everyone remembers, isn't he? Yeah, Bruno definitely stands out. I kind of gave away my little uh, fondness for the Razor's coach. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. And I think, do you know what? I only think he showed up in... Uh, Mainly Three or four episodes, series, yeah. yeah. Mainly- Helped establish it. It was kind of the he, he he was the foil. He was the reason why the the team formed. But I loved him. He he was great as just this like really pressuring dad with a ridiculous attempt to act. Basil Stoker played by Bill Holmes. Yeah, who's on Twitter actually. He was he was tweeting about the show earlier when we mentioned we were going to talk about it. So and his uh, his Twitter handle is the Facebook poet, which I thought was quite apt. Very nice. Very good, yeah. 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 You'll, you'll, you'll have to tell him that I was singing his praises. I will I really, do, yeah. I really did love that cup of coffee from yeah. him. Um, he, was, he was very over the top, wasn't he? Like, girls can't play football and very of the time as well, which, you know, in 1998, that was still the kind of opinion. It wasn't, the you know, what we see now, but it worked for a kid's show like this. Yeah. Um, another one that stands out for it was, um, was it Eddie, the owner of the calf? <laughs> the Elvis-loving Eddie. The Elvis Eddie, wannabe, yeah. yeah. He added. He just added another another extra dimension of darkness to it. Just really helped make it light away from the football. I always appreciate it, even though it was, it, you know, it was a it was a one note joke. But it was it for, for a kids show. It was, it was funny. I found it charming. It's very random for you know a, a show set in the nineties. I uh, think a kids show to have yeah. Elvis on it. It was very. It, it was, it, they went all out. He had Priscilla as his wife, who you never saw as well. She was always behind the counter. You never actually saw her face throughout the se- all four series. But every time you'd go to the uh, the calf 
there'd be Elvis music playing. He'd quote a lot of the lyrics. It was it, they went all out on it, which was very different to what the rest of the show was like. But it gave it that kind of quirk, didn't it? Yeah, and everyone else on the show will completely no sell it. They were they they wouldn't really yeah. Smoking the fact yeah. that you thought it was the seventies, they just kind of just carry on with their lives. Now, that added to it as well. But yeah, you t- I think you hit the nail on the head. It was it was such a weird random thing, and I I like weird random kooky things. Plus, you say about you never seeing Priscilla. Uh, that's always been one of my favourite little comedy tropes to us having the character yeah. you don't actually see. Well, it's the old, just like uh, going back to the sort of Sylvester and Tweety, isn't it? It's kind of, it harks back, you never saw her, you always saw her feet walking across the screen. So it's, it works and it always adds that little kind of quirky element to it. Um, talking of the people that are in it as well, I mean, it had a lot of cameos. I mean, it wasn't just a throwaway sort of kids TV show that kind of shunned by the football industry. Jim Rosenthal was a regular member, he used to help out Vinnie Rodriguez, in, especially in the second season. Bob Wilson uh, made an appearance in it on a couple of episodes. Jim Franco Zola. Uh, makes a cameo. I tweeted that earlier last week. Um, great cameo he makes. He's actually quite good in it as well. The cast from uh, the players from 1966: Jeff Hurst, Gordon Banks. There's a young John Terry, Martin Keown. I mean, they got respect from the football world, which was, you know, kind of you wouldn't probably see that now, let alone then. Yeah, the, the Zola one, especially. I know, I've, I've got to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So because the, uh, the the Zola appearance paid off a, a running joke where. Bruno would be in his room and talk to his Zola poster. Yeah. And in his head, the way the TV would go, it would be in his head, but you'd see the Zola poster actually talking to him where they'd, you know, they'd superimpose someone's lips talking on the Zola poster. And I always liked that. That was one of my favourite little bits. Mm, yeah. No, so, yeah. Dafter's a brush, by the way. Yeah. Like well, Harry Redknapp, he was good as well. And then, I think we mentioned this when we were chatting earlier before we recorded, Liam, is the, the QPR episode, which is in season three. And obviously, I remember that very vividly at the time. It was during the 1998-99 season, because I remember the kit they were wearing, where they actually go to the ground. Um, it was all filmed during a, a game between QPR. And I think it's Ipswich, if I remember rightly. But they actually sit in the loft, and then Jason gets to play on the pitch with Stan Bowles. It's all filmed in and out the ground. I mean, as a kid uh, who was going to QPR at the time, and I got to see in the ground, in the corridor, in the dressing room, it was absolutely amazing. But it, it was, again, a fun episode that kind of gave you a little bit of a secret behind the scenes look in the football world and and I know you remembered it because you mentioned to me earlier didn't you yeah it was uh, I'm not even sure why that is but it is one of the ones that stood out to me which shows how successful it was as a concept uh, I remember I think, I think the whole thing was that um, J- Jason you know with his with his tendency to to spin yarns and BS a little bit I uh, was talking about how he was he was best mates with, with Stan Bowles. Yeah, 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 something like that. Um, and in the end, he, he did end up getting a ticket, and he manages to blag his way in, ends up being the guy who has a kick about Stan Bowles. But then every, everyone goes to get a hamburger <laughs> yeah. and a drink, and no one sees it, so they just think it's more BS. <laughs> it's, it, again, it, it's one of those kids things but it still makes me laugh now so it obviously worked um, perhaps m- most funny that he thought 20,000 fans were there now I've been the Loftus Road for 25 years and I've never seen 20,000 fans in that stadium so bless him that's probably his most outrageous lie and it was also 20 quid <laughs> his ticket that day 20 quid in 1998 that's a lot of money um, yeah. Jason was also known for wearing a whole shirt throughout the uh, 
four series as well, which I thought was always random, especially because it was the away shirt. It was this purpley, burgundy, horrible kit. And we asked him about that in the interview, but that was another random quirk, as well as uh, the coach always. Stuart Jackson wore a Chelsea shirt, but again, it was that uh, yellow Chelsea shirt, which um, it's one of the better ones from that decade. People might say it's not, although it is one shirt. I remember watching when I was, they were playing Arsenal in a cup tie and I was watching it when I worked very well and in the sight of the show actually made me feel worse because <laughs> it was yellows and all mixing in together but yeah that was an, another quirk they got it they got it all right that's what I like about um, Renford Rejects they weren't kind of it, it didn't seem like they were trying to be football fans I think the writers knew what they were doing and they were catering uh, to an audience that they knew would get all the in jokes even with the 66 boys as well when they I think they were probably aiming for the, the mums and dads and I think that's kind of its legacy it kind of got football without trying too hard is that fair to say yeah it is I mean the thing that always struck me about it is it's fair to say with retrospect that it's a it's a cult classic show uh, albeit a niche cult classic it's a cult classic nonetheless and a lot of the thing when we go through the, all these things they did like the picking the shirts that they'd wear and the soundtrack all these little things put on the show you would all you know, if you didn't know any better you would think that the writers and the producers were sitting down together and thinking, right, how do we ensure that this ends up being a cult classic? Uh, 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 and it succeeded. Yeah, well, the fact yeah, they're still showing it at, like, three o'clock in the morning, they're obviously appealing to someone. There's obviously a reason they're still showing it. They've got a plethora of shows that they could screen at that time that people would watch. But for some reason, they're putting the Renford Rejects on, which is a testament to that it's kind of sort of carried it through the years. It's kind of stood the test of time, maybe. Yeah, I, I mean, you normally we think about a cult classic is something that, you know, it fails in its its primary aim of being a hit, a massive success. But then after the failure comes like a bit of appreciation after the fact, or, it, or it's seen through a different perspective, and that brings it its own degree of popularity. But with this, that seemed to always be their aim right from the start. It kind of, it, it, in a funny way, it fits the motif of the show and that you've got a team of of rejects who are trying to you know become a better sum of than their parts mm. so <laughs> they didn't mean to get too uh philosophical poetic. no it's good i'm <laughs> sure the guys i know they're going to be listening because they've all been tweeting about it so I'm, I'm sure they'd appreciate what we're saying um let's talk to one of them then um i spoke to a really the guy who plays jason summerby really really great interview um i know we talked a lot about renford rejects and but he does tell some great stories and just about TV at the time in general and football and meeting the guys. It's a really interesting interview. Um, his actor, Martin Delaney, speaking to me earlier this week on Alive and Kicking. Hi, this is Elton Wellsby and you're listening to Alive and Kicking, the outstanding 90s football podcast. Joining me on the line now is uh, somebody, if you had Nickelodeon on in the 90s, he'd been part of the furniture. We know him as Jason Summerby from Renford Rejects. You know him as Martin Delaney, now respected actor himself. Credits include Zero Duck 30 and Now You See Me Too. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, Martin. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me, Ash. Thanks. It's, uh, it's good to be here. Yeah, and, and good to be here. And also... An amazing coincidence and sort of twist of fate. <laughs> we are recording this, so it's February 23rd, and Martin found That's out right. this himself last night. It's actually 20 years to the day that Renford Rejects made his appearance on Nickelodeon. How amazing is that? I mean, that's it's amazing, but it's making me feel really old. <laughs> I was going to ask you that. Does it feel like 20 years? Um, it's weird, isn't it? It's, sort of, it, it's funny because, obviously, 
I've been obviously working in between and doing a lot of different stuff and it feels like a good while ago obviously but it's funny with that show because it really sort of spanned a couple of generations and this I remember when it first came out uh, 20 years ago you'd have a lot of blokes sort of older than 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 me who'd watched it you know I, I, used to, I mean we at that age where I was I mean we looked like kids but I was sort of 17 I think when I started it and a lot of us were starting going to pubs as our first sort of you know mm. trying to get in without any id and all that sort of <laughs> yeah, stuff remember those days and and uh, and i remember having a couple of really you know strange encounters like being in a, in a boozer in london and someone saying yeah yeah i'll, I'll watch that show mate it's a guy with like 35 you know like <laughs> again i love that show yeah i love that yeah it's great Very so it's a uh, and, and and you know it's uh, nickelodeon ran it for so long that uh yeah it, it's one of those shows that there's, it's got quite a wide audience now. It's you, quite bizarre. Do you still get recognised today from it? Yeah, it's really strange. Um, I, 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 yeah, all the time, of, of all the kind of bits and pieces that I've done over the years, and as you mentioned there, there's some sort of film work and, and stuff that I've done, big, you know, little bits in big movies and, and stuff like that. And, uh, and I was in Soap for a while in the UK and then in New Zealand as well. But actually, um, it's still the show that everyone really remembers uh, and and it's the thing that people, even older people, really reference. Like, oh, you know, I, I used to watch you in that, and then you were in that and that. And but they they that's the one that feels really sort of dear to their heart. It's quite funny. Well, let's take you back then. I mean, how did you? Because the show came out in 1998. How did you get involved? How was the show sold to you? Because it was the first British show, I believe, that Nickelodeon in this country produced themselves. That's, that's right. It was. Um, so I mean, for me, it was I'd I'd started acting um as a sort of late teen i'd started um doing the odd little bit in strangely like musical theater and stuff mm. in london I, I never really trained in that area um and i but i knew i as a teenager that i really wanted to be an actor i knew that um i really wanted to follow that and i didn't really know how i, I remember being quite sort of stumped but but knowing that that's what i want to do and um I started in a few little bits and pieces. I did a bit of theatre in the West End, and then I did a few little TV bits. I did a my first screen job was a sort of Disney Channel film, I think it was okay. a war film, and so I I sort of cropped up in some things and uh, in guest episodes of things and shows like um, Pie in the Sky back in the day with Richard oh, Griffiths and yeah, yeah. yeah and and London's Burning and all those kind of classic shows that were on and. And as a result of, of sort of knocking up a little bit of work, I remember my agent sort of, said, sort of phoning me and saying, so you've got to go to this audition. There's going to be a bunch of guys there and they're going to kind of uh, mix and match you. And, um, and, and so it was that kind of process. And it was as often with young people, when they were auditioning young people, they used to hold them over quite a few days. So you'd go back to another callback. And nowadays you, you usually do a couple of auditions for a job. You know, you might do mm-hmm. another recall or a screen test. Um, but back then I remember it going on quite a while. We, and I remember our final audition, which was quite tough when you think about it really sort of psychologically <laughs> is that we had to turn up at Wilsdon wreck, which is where we filmed most of the football. Okay. And, um, they got us to turn up there on a on a weekend, I think, because some some of the guys I was one of the youngest, but some a couple of us were still doing A levels, and most of the other guys had left school. Um, and they got us to turn up on a Saturday, and there was basically two versions of everyone. 
auditioning for that final part so it was pretty brutal mm, you know that, is, that yeah. final audition you know you, you knew head. that that's it it was like it was it really was pretty weird um and we had to do a bit of football stuff and we all had to be quite capable as footballers we because in our in our shoot week we had to do at least two or three days filming on the football pitches and there was always an episode where all of a sudden someone comes good you know like yeah. bruno scores an overhead kick or uh, Jason sort of beats a few players and scores, and so you all had to be of a of a decent level to then look really poor when that came about. So that was quite interesting, the sort of detail in that. Um, but yeah, I mean, generally just auditions like like anyone else. Um, it was a casting director called Carl Proctor, who um, was an actor as well when he was younger, and he does still you know cast a lot of stuff. And he just got me in and, and gave me that start. Mm. Well, let's talk, the cast kind of changed, didn't it? So it ran for four seasons from 1999 right. to 2001. Yeah. Um, the original cast, remember that Jason as a character, he, he was kind of the leader, the captain, thought he was yes. better than he was. Uh, yes, not averse yeah. to the odd lie here and there. Um, That's as it. Well. Very much like the infancy of Jay from The Inbetweeners as I was watching it earlier. I was thinking, this is kind of the early days yeah. and stuff like that. And then yeah. there was the kind of a hint of a love story between him and Robin. You know, we all had a crush on Robin when we were watching yeah. it. So, I mean, how, how were you with the cast? How was they to get on with? Because it changed. Because there was a couple of, of course, that have gone on like yourself. Um, Mo George, yeah. who's in EastEnders, and Lucy Punch, who's done stuff in Hollywood. So there's some big names yeah. that have come from it. What was it like with the cast? They, You know what? They were a great bunch of people. It was, uh, it was a real pleasure to sort of, for us to, you know, get paid to grow up really you know we yeah. were just all hang, hanging out and uh and they it was a diverse bunch you know they were really um you know from all, all over london you know young actors um paul who played bruno had done a bit of work before and had been in sort of grange hill and so, so was the sort of like star of of the, of the show in terms of like tv world certainly that's how he carried himself um but um yeah, it was a good bunch, and as you mentioned, there some of the guys have gone on to do do really well. Lucy, in particular, is a, is a great. She's so talented. She came in for series three, and played. I'm um, oh, sorry, series two. So she played Sue, uh, who was the blonde, sort of uh, a lot more. I guess it was quite tough for, for audiences because she was so different from from Robin. Yeah. Robin was, you know, this hero star player, uh, and really the best footballer of, of of all of us. So she was sporty, you know attractive and all, all, all boys loved her and all that sort of stuff and then sue came in and she was really like all of us you know like, like kind of nuts you know and so, <laughs> so i think it was quite a tough job for her but she's a wonderful actress she's done some some great things over the years and as you say worked out of the states matthew leach as well who played Stuart, yeah um is probably my best buddy from there i still know um matt we caught up the other day he's, he's been living in america for a little while but Matt still acts. He was in, did a lovely little tiny bit in The Dark Knight, and he was in Band of Brothers playing uh, Floyd Talbot. So he was, he was sort of working on that. So people might recognise him from those kind of shows and those uh, and those movies. And and Matt and I, we we've been pals. Bizarrely, like we always got on at work, but it wasn't until he left the show that we really kind of realised how similar we were mm. uh, as people and bonded and and and, uh, and hung out a lot and. Uh, because on the show, you're just there in this intense environment for like, you know, a couple of months and three months maybe. And uh, and you, you're there to do the job. And even though we were youngsters, we I think they were really well cast in that sense that a lot of the people there were really conscientious, really want to do a good job. And Holly Davidson, who plays Robin, is still a good mate of mine as well. I, I don't see her as often as, as, as we'd like, but um, 
she's sort of gone into personal training and stuff like that. And uh, and she's she's a great girl. She's really good. And and I noticed that Roger Davis, who played Vinny, of course Vinny, the commentator. Yeah, yeah, that's it. He plays out in he he lives out in LA now. My cousin and stuff live out there as well. And and he just cropped up. I know he just. Um, he was in the latest uh, Cloverfield movie, which oh, is on Netflix. On Netflix yeah. Which is great because I think he had a bit of a hiatus where we worked together again, actually, Roger and I. We did. Um, we worked together. I was in a show called Family Affairs, which was a sort of daytime Channel 5, show. Yeah. Channel 5. Idris Elba was in it and I was in it. And and, and just as, um, as I was in there for a bit, Roger came in and played like my pal in it, bizarrely. He, you know, he got an audition and played a character that I was working with a bit. We were like the kind of bad boys of, you know, this West London sort <laughs> of soap. And so it was lovely to work with him again. And then he moved to LA and I think there was a bit of a pause where he wasn't really working. So it was lovely to see him crop up in, in the Cloverfield movie. So he's, he's back he's back amongst it, which is lovely. Well, if Channel 4 ever bring back that bring back show, I, I'm lead pitching. <laughs> I'm lead pitching bring That's back it. for Regis. We'll get you all together. This is the start mine. We're going to get you all together. Nickelodeon should be That's doing it. anyways. 20 years. Um, yeah. They weren't the only members of, of the... Uh, everyone remembers the cameos as well because it, it yeah, did quite well in the football world. Uh, during mm. the 90s when cameos weren't as you know you weren't as public as you see some of the guys that's right now and you had guys like i mean i, I tweeted the day the, the zola cameo but there was like Martin keown shaka hislop uh, john, yeah. very young john terry with no hair jim rosenthal was a, a recurring <laughs> uh, person in it as well yeah. I mean, what was it like to jim, work with those guys they're great you know jim jim rosenthal and bob wilson were are such lovely guys yeah. um really really good fun and i remember jim sort of saying because obviously Tom Rosenthal does a lot of comedy now and, and, and does really well, Jim's son. And I remember Jim saying to us, you know, we, we were sort of like, why do you, how can you come and do this show? You know, like what is going on? Cause it was so amazing for us to have people like that involved. And Jim, I remember Jim saying, you know, like my son really loves it. And he said, I can't really not do it now. And, uh, and Tom and I have caught up at a couple of events and bits and pieces and we, we spoke about it. And, uh, he used to love the show, you know, he was a, a, a fan of the show back when he was a kid as well. So those guys were great. I mean, it was amazing getting people, as you mentioned, like Zola. Yeah. I mean, he was what? quite it was... good as well, in fairness. Yeah. His cameo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just, he just sort of, it was so funny. He sort of just did what he wanted. He kind of, because his, um, we were sort of, we'd set up a few scenes around, you know, what was going to happen. There was a couple of dialogue scenes and then it was mainly the football action. And there was this, for those that don't really remember the episode or don't, don't know, it was the idea that was, we were going to get Zola playing for us, this, you know, and he was this skillful, amazing, you know, like, like Maradona, that short, sort of stocky, yeah. center of, you know, low center of gravity, amazing player. And the Razors were going to get Martin Keown, who was like, you know, this, you know, was going to like tear people apart. <laughs> and, uh, and then the whole point of the episode is that they they both chose it as an opportunity to to sort of let out a side of them that they didn't they didn't normally express on the pitch. So Zola ends up sort of yeah, scything everyone, remember, yeah. taking everyone out, and Keown starts to really sort of show off his skill to the sort of detriment of both teams and the and the panic of both managers. Um, but Zola was great fun. Martin was great. He came back and did a, a, another bit again. And then and then there were the sixty six guys. You know, yeah. we had. Jeff Hurst and and Gordon Banks and Martin Keown and I mean just couldn't believe it. I mean it was it was amazing because the American producers we had American producers even though it was a British show and I know Stephen Baywell who's one of the directors and, and the and the creator of the show was really conscious back then of saying you know if we get the kids 
with TV shows like this in the living room and people are watching this. We need to put something in there for the adults. And it's kind of what Disney Pixar do now with the cartoons, right? There's, yeah. this, there's always something in there that kids love and then the adults can sit there and find the jokes really funny. And Stephen was really on that back then where he knew that if, if Nickelodeon was going to be on in that living room, uh, parents were going to end up watching it. And, and so that's why the kind of cameos we had appealed to that slightly older audience as well so like david badil came and did an episode mm. um Alexis it was massive Sale. in the 90s in fairness badil you think how big he was at the time yeah right? that's right that's right the, the two uh, I, he actually told us when we was on the shoot you know he said you know frank and i got sense because obviously football fantasy football was really big yeah. as you say and they used to get sent stuff all the time to sort of take the piss out of and i remember um he said someone sent a clip of Renford Rejects to us and sort of said, look at this. And he said, we couldn't really tear it apart. <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he said, you know, there's not really been many good football shows made. And he said it looked really well executed. And so I said, you know, it's a shame you didn't, you didn't get the episode with Stan Bowles acting because then you would have had something to talk about. But, um, but uh, yeah, so as a result, when he was approached, I think he was quite keen to do it. You know, it was a, a nice, easy job for these guys. But Alexis Sale came back twice. Mm-hmm. Um, we had Tony Slattery do it, and of course James Corden had a, yeah, had a cameo. cameo yes, and, uh, played one He's of the sort right. of bad races. He's done okay for himself. Yeah, yeah. but um, yeah. So yeah, we had a good we had a good bunch in and out of that sh- at that show over the years. Uh, had, you know, Harry Redknapp was brilliant fun, um, as you can imagine, just a real character. I worked with Harry again. Actually, I did a short film for the Hall of Fame Museum, um, which was sort of sponsored by you know the premier league and all mm. this kind of stuff and it was i think loosely sort of based on sort of, sort of joe cole's life like it was about a young oh, okay. lad working class footballer who uh ends up sort of following his dream and, and and playing for west ham and it was shown in the football hall of fame museum which was on county in the county hall buildings on the south bank which was only was only open for a few years but um yeah part of the tour was that you watch this film about this young lad and I played I played the lad and um, my younger brother Pat Delaney played me younger because it's a sort of it starts with me being younger and um, and Harry was on that as well because it was West Ham and uh, and Jeff as well Jeff Hurst was on that as well we you know, did a bit on it and great fun great fun mm. job so going from one extreme of playing like this useless you know b- bullshitting captain to then be playing like a like, like joe cole very get, good yeah exactly getting his first run out you mentioned and, uh, stan bowles there um, and it's an episode that i remember most vividly mainly because yeah. i'm a qpr fan myself because you guys actually recorded is it a half time at loftus Road, uh, if i remember rightly it, it was such an epic experience because yeah we it was our it was it was a funny old shoot that first series and um it was the big budget episode of that series. <laughs> it's the first time you on a big budget I've mentioned for a that's long right, time. Exactly. exactly. And, uh, and I, 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 you know, they were like, well, look, you know, we're going to do this away stuff. We're going to go over there and do that. And then we're going to film in bits of London and, and not just at the local street and everything. And, uh, and they, for a while they weren't sure what team they were going to get. And, um, and where we were going to do all this stuff, but they were always planning this big episode, and they, it was always planned for my character, which was really lovely. It was a nice app as well, and yeah, and in the end, they 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 organised with QPR that because it wasn't far from us where we were filming, and it was amazing. We went on basically at half time. The way we did it, was so inventive. It's you'd never make a show like this now, but um, we basically got tickets for these certain seats that our actors, the guys, so Stuart and 
Robin and Bruno and all those guys, Ben, are all watching the game from these seats. And they bought those tickets for real. And those guys got to watch that game for real so that we could film them on a long lens. Mm. And then we filmed the scenes where they're talking on a separate day. And then, then the plan was that I would go on on the pitch at halftime during a real match with Stan Bowles. No one, you know, the crowd didn't know about it. Stan was going to come on. And I was going to, the, the hard bit was that I, was, I had to be awful. And the crowd were not in on this, you know. So <laughs> yeah. I, I knew that I was going to basically go out at half time and make a complete dick of myself and sort of like sky the ball over there and hit this. And then, you know, there was a couple of attempts that got near that, which obviously looked a bit more dramatic where I would hit the crossbar or the post or whatever. Um, but basically, yeah, just go on and make an idiot of myself and, and Stan and I go one-on-one. And he was great fun. That was bang, bang on halfway through the first series we shot that. So we had a big party that night. And um, and Stan came to it, and and actually Stan and I, you know, caught up many times years later. Hung out. My dad was a huge Stan Bowles fan. My dad really loved those kind of flair players yeah. like Stan and, and Georgie Best and, and and Dennis Law and all those guys. So you know, meeting a guy like that and actually becoming quite good friends with him was a was a lovely experience for my father. Mm. But um, yeah, he was as you can imagine, just a real character, yeah. hilarious, and and was brilliant with me you know mm. he couldn't he couldn't act to save his life but he was uh, <laughs> but he was lovely yeah, yeah. Big, big hero of my dad as well sadly he's suffering from alzheimer's at the moment so best guy out to, to, to stand yeah around. absolutely um, and he's a he's a really good guy he really is a really good, good guy. guy from what from what i hear as well uh, what expel a myth, myth for us as well uh, martin before you go mm-hmm. um, throughout the series you wear a whole city shirt now i'm judging <laughs> from your accent that isn't the part of the world you're from and i've read on, it, yeah. on wiki that you're a kent boy like myself as well so where does <laughs> the whole shirt fit in it was really weird, wasn't it? It was sort of, it, and it's been sort of bothering people for years. <laughs> I think the show was really good at that because, you know, you obviously remember Eddie, that you know, they own the cafe in Priscilla, Elvis, yep. and 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 everyone was everyone talked about how you never saw Priscilla's face, right? Yep. You know, like Priscilla was in that hatch, and you, and there was these little little running things that we knew that were going to wind people up, and and but you know, and get in the mind of people, and and sort of there was always something to think about in the show, and I think just made you remember it and it is moments like that but uh whole city it was a really weird one it was when we when we did the character bios and we were all reading up for our roles just before we started it's literally something that came from one of the treatments written by patrick buckley and chris wilson who were the writers they wrote something with the creator stephen baywell around all of our backgrounds and obviously there was stuff about bruno you know who was was from up the road but was infatuated with all this italian stuff and and couldn't really let go of that stuff and it was everyone had all this background and with jason he was the kind of he was the kind of raw working class uh, representation in the show for you know of west london and he was the idea was that he came from a sort of single parent sort of family you know his mum was only still around his dad had sort of disappeared and in the background writing there was something about jason had sort of put his dad on this pedestal because he was missing from his life. And you never sort of explore it in any of the episodes. And the they say the, the sort of, Jason sort of hero worshipped his dad, but actually the nearest his dad got to playing pro football was playing for Hull City Reserves um, back in, you know, whatever date. And so Jason, for because of that, had this Hull City shirt. Mm. It was this really weird, tenuous link that no one would ever... I've known anything about, but it was in that biog. And so when it came to sort of 
kitting us all out. And, you know, the, the show was very much a kind of cartoon with actors in a way. Everyone was in these kind of hyper colours, you know, very bright stuff. So, you know, it was left that, yeah, how about the whole city shirt? You know, the big bright purple and mm. the yellow uh, and the yellow collar. And, uh, and yeah, and I've had a sort of an affection, uh, you know, sort of side of me, um, you know, around Hull ever since, really. But it was this sort of very weird backstory stuff that never got explored, uh, but was obviously essential to, like, how Jason sort of felt, really. You know, it's quite weird. Yeah. The only time I don't think, I think you're in the QPR show, aren't you, during that scene? I remember you're in the 98-99 kick. I'm a bit of a kick yeah. myself, so I always... That's right. Yes. Who do you support yourself, Martin? Who, who is your team? Well, it's a bit of a weird one for me, because my brother played pro football, and we, we run a football coaching company out this way, you know, for years. I, I don't... Um, working it anymore really because it's, I'm just sort of very busy with acting but um, so I'm, a, I'm actually a football coach but we're all Man U fans and it's a bit of a weird one it's, it's because my, my dad's lot the Irish lot there's a there's a Jimmy Delaney as well who played for Celtic and Man United oh okay and uh, and so uh, we you know all my, all my lot were always Man U and Celtic fans that's just kind of how it all went so I grew up with you know when I was really young, my sticker book collecting era was Norman Whiteside and Brian Robson yeah. and all these guys, Mark Hughes, I, I, Paul Ince and gigs with a sort of new blood coming in. Um, but I, you know, I obviously sort of hero worshipped kind of Cantona and, 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 and even like, you know, Solskjaer, you know, running on for five minutes a match and, and banging a couple of goals. It was like, that was my, but as I think as we, we're very, we're, our family are very passionate and very much involved in football. And I think the older you get and the more it becomes a, a professional thing, like for us, which it has done. I, my brother, as I say, played pro and now designs football commercials and films uh, for like the likes of Nike and Adidas and okay. all, all, all these big companies. And occasionally I, I help him out as well because I'm sort of quite technical. I've been a coach for years. So we, the, the more professional we sort of get involved in football in, in a way that we sort of less... Uh, kind of territorial about, yeah. about I think that comes of age mate <laughs> yeah maybe it's sort of, you know I find some of my mates actually getting more and more passionate uh -huh. the older they get but, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah I, I kind of we just grew up with that we kind of grew up in a household where we didn't have any choice it was like if you're Man United or you're out mm. um, but yeah yeah. well to finish I mean I could chat to you all day about um, Red Ridge if you haven't even touched yeah. on, on Bruno's accent I mean that must have done his head in doing that every day And I think it did I mean, <laughs> I, you know, Paul, Paul really loved you know he, he loved being in the show he loved the kind of uh, people, you know he was a really memorable character he was mad as as anything and he came up with some lovely ideas in the show which really really work but he, you know he's he was the sort of paul mccarthy of of of, <laughs> of the renford reloads he, i love that that should be on the dvd cover <laughs> <laughs> he, he kind of he loved being in the show he loved the kind of stardom that came with it and and, and all the kind of praise and uh, yeah, he was a, 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 certainly a character. Well, let's oh, finish cool with, uh, with your favourite moments then from the show. I mean, what what can you pick oh, up? What did you enjoy the most, whether it be on screen, off screen? What did you enjoy the most of being part of the whole Renford Rejects experience? Gosh, I mean, this, as you mentioned, some of those guest stars, that was always uh, really fun. It, it's, it's mad to think that I worked with Stan, that A, that I got a chance to do that, that he was a sort of hero of my dad's, B, that he was so lovely and then that we sort of became quite good pals you know it's sort of it's sort of strange things like that um you know never forget those kind of moments i think for me um the highlight was was being in a show that's sort of still quite a cult classic people yeah. really you know do remember it and remember those those funny cameos that we had along the way 
Um, but I think more than anything, at such a young age, I was I was one of the youngest in the show, as I say. Like, I was 17 when I started. I was 20, 20 by the time I finished. Um, but to be in a show like that with American producers, they really... Uh, trusted us and the experience is pretty boring for people who, who don't really know much about tv and film but nowadays you, you get a job and you go straight in and you kind of record you go in and you and you film you if you're doing a sitcom you might rehearse for a bit if you do a play you, you're lucky to, to rehearse but in tv and film you, you kind of get on and you do it back then we we had about three or four weeks a year before we started filming where we would play a lot of football which was heaven um, and rehearse the scripts and rework them. And they, it was incredible that at such a young age like that, that these producers trusted our input. Um, that in itself was amazing. And, and kind of, it was like a little family unit. And I know that um, Peter Jackson did it with like Lord of the Rings. You know, he got the actors to sort of voice other characters and stuff like that and, and do all these like little in bits where, oh yeah, you could dress up as an orc mm. and play that part. And, and, and Rejects was kind of like that for us with American producers. Like, there's bits in an episode called Renford Radio, I think it is, or it's where I'm doing a kind of northern voice of a, of a guy who's like someone calling in, and I'm also playing like a Geordie on, 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 in one section talking about a gorilla escaping. Like, and you can hear me, like, there's a bit actually where Bruno and I are listening to a radio, and it's my voice on the radio. And we were youngsters and we got a chance to sort of play around with that stuff and 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 piss about and actually have such an input um and 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 sort of be involved in the show in other ways you know there was the the, the director of photography pierre bofferty who who's won in like an equivalent of the french academy award he he's done loads of shows over the years brilliant guy but you know there were times when be like oh you know you you can film this scene Martin, you're not in this scene. You can film this scene. And I was, like, holding the camera on my oh, shoulder okay. and, yeah. and filming. It was like a family. And um, I learned an incredible amount on that show. It, it wasn't just great fun, you know, meeting the likes of Jeff Hurst and Ian Rush and all these guys, Zola, that you'd watch playing football, you know. And the fact that we, we actually got to sort of be like a little family unit and, uh, and enjoy that like that was a real blessing. So, uh, yeah good experience and we made some good good friendships like i say matt matt leach and i we just caught up the other day but it's uh we don't we we sort of sometimes it's a bit few and far between but there's some there's some good bodies in there as well good good people well we need to bring it back that is our new mission isn't it martin we need to bring back a special <laughs> 20 years <laughs> later bizarrely of... i you know like the, the producer steve was talking about trying to do it with with a girls team at one point and uh and and sort of talking about me being the the new coach and all this sort of stuff and there has been talk of it but i'm, I'm sort of doing bits, bits and pieces elsewhere at the moment you know a comedy called hellmakers which is on bbc recently and i mean maybe if we you know maybe if there was enough of an audience that that cared you know it's it's a hard one because it's a lot of the guys are not really actors anymore there's only really a few of us that are still doing it and uh and it's just about timing. All these things are always about yeah. timing. Well, I think the 90s and 90s stuff is so it within the vogue of being nostalgic at the moment because I think everyone's reaching that age where we all try yeah. and go back to the 90s. So hopefully, Ren for Rejects, we'll this will help. Our episode <laughs> will help and we'll, we'll get it back. Thank you so much for your time, Martin. We've gone on much longer and it's been brilliant speaking to you. Um, that's good luck, with, yeah. good luck with everything that you're doing at the moment. Hopefully, we'll see you Thank on you. our screens very soon. Thanks a lot, Martin. Thanks, Ash. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, this is Alexi Lawless, and you're listening to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. Remember, keep it 90s.
Brilliant. Thank you so much there to Martin Delaney. What a nice fella he is. Um, and I think, yeah, let's do it. Let's get the band back together. We don't need Justine Collins, obviously. Let's get me and uh, Liam can join in. We'll get the band together. Yes, please. Yeah, let's do another reunion show with the Renford Rejects. So we'll get them all together. If you want it to happen, tweet us at AK90s. We'll get it sorted for you. Um, I think we've done all of... We've probably have to say on Renford Rejects. I mean, I didn't mention the character Roddy Supra, who was kind of the sort of fashion guy who used to say cool a lot and wear shades and stuff. Again, another funny little thing. And Ben Phillips, the goalie who wore glasses, um, he was a stalwart of the show. And he's now, um, he works in an office. I don't know what he does, but I saw some pictures, someone tweeted me earlier, of him looking very much his older self um, in an office and just doing his day job. So he obviously didn't go full steam into the acting and stuff, but he's a great character from the show as well. Um, Liam, let's talk just a a little bit of 90s football in general you're like you say you're like me you're from that era you grew up in that era what things from 90s football always stand out for you and make you hark back to that glorious decade uh one of the things that stands out above all else is yeah i, I i'm happy to admit this i was i was probably more into the stickers oh well, yeah who before wasn't? before i got truly into the foot you know you'll know a lot of football fans who love the stickers love collecting stickers there, there was a there was a point in time where I was more into the stickers than I was the actual football. The nineties for me was where my love of football developed. Yeah, it was never at any point in the nineties. I dare say a complete uh, the complete product. I wasn't there yet. I was very much a slow guy. I as as, as a young child in the early nineties, I, I bounced around teams, just saying I supported who people would tell me to support. Yeah. And be who whoever won the first game or match of the day or a lot of weeks. Mm. So I was very much at that casual. I was looking for somewhere to belong. So uh, and I think that's where the charm thing comes from because as I as I described it at the start of this show, that is the. That is the warmth, that is the mentality of the club uh, and that is the sort of thing that will take in someone like me who's, who has a love of football, who loves the culture, who loves all the all the little quirks of it. But yeah, you kind of just need somewhere to, to be able to develop it further. And, and that's what the 90s was. And I, I went through so many things. I, this is going to be... This this won't be anything new to anyone listening, <laughs> but yeah, the usual things, are, you know, the Subutio, the yeah. video. Oh my god, the video games! I was very much a, uh, you know, I loved Premier Manager '98. Yeah, I loved a few of the FIFA International games. You know, when they were finding their feet in the '90s. Oh, Road to World Cup '98 is still one of the best football games of all time. That is fantastic, brilliant with the Song Two soundtrack as well, and. Yeah, I, I if I still had an N sixty four sitting next to me, I would be playing it. It was also the start of you know this was saying there was more of a bulk two thousands thing, but it was I'm talking about how things developed in the nineties, and one thing that developed was my passionate love affair with LMA Manager, yeah. which I, I I actually liked it more than Football Manager Ooh. for the main for the main reason being you got to hear a man out on this. <laughs> what on. what LMA brought to the table that Championship Manager and Football Manager could not is an immense playability for the casual. You could pick it up, you could play this game, you could put it down. Uh, as everyone jokes, Football Manager rips into your social life, rips into your free time, rips into your very being. Yep. Uh, it's a shame that not many other people have managed to find that winning formula that Codemasters did with LMA Manager in the late 90s and early 2000s to find a game that gives you enough detail, enough depth, but allows you to do a couple of hours, then go off to the rest of your life. 
So I always remember Elmo. There was something about that game. It was fantastic console manager. No, 99, yeah, the first one of that. Yeah, I remember it yep. on the PlayStation. So, no, I, I played them all in fairness. I, I, I was partial to a bit more of a championship manager, or champs as it was then. Um, but, yeah, I did. I, I agree with you. There was sort of quirks about LMA manager that was um, definitely sort of better, or dare, dare I say it. It was, a, it was a middle of the road. You know, it's his, it, was, it was his own category. You, even to this day, you could do with a, a more casual. But yeah. I suppose if you think about it, you've got um, football manager of mobile. Now yeah, that we that's have, the one I play uh, now, to be honest. Yeah. Now we have mobile phones powerful enough for that sort of thing. You can have a slightly more casual version of a good in-depth game. Yeah. All you want to but do is before, make, play games and make transfers. That is kind of all I want to do. Exactly. Yeah. And, that, and that's, that's the niche LMA found. Yeah. And I never said it was better. I said I preferred it more. Because <laughs> as, as you may have picked up from my, from my monologue, I was a, especially back then, I was, a, I was a casual football fan who became a dad who ended up working in the industry, which I, which I never saw come in a million years. You mentioned stickers of the at the start of that what sticker album was was the first one I mean for me it was I mean I collected a lot of the pro set and then a lot of the uh, sort of uh, Club 92 cards but I mean when the Premier, first Premier League album came out in 94 that was for me the first I've still got the completed one sitting in, somewhere in this office but was that was it for that album or slightly later for you Premier League 94 was my first yeah individual project this was the first one that was <laughs> all for me and Good terminology it was yeah it well it was all down to me this one you know i was at this point i was old old enough to be able to go and spend pocket money on stickers so you know my parents got me the album here's a couple of packs go nuts go nuts i did but i couldn't quite finish it the, oh. the first completed album i managed you know you've got to build up an attention span and mine was always a a few steps behind most people of my age <laughs> uh my first completed one was fittingly the, the shiny sparkling gold edition that was premier league 98 that was my first completed yep. one and somewhere in my mum's house that is still around I'll have to dig that one day it's, it's, I know it's there somewhere in like the loft or something um, technically the first one and I'm going to be hazy on this but for, for the sake of answering the question because I kind of want to jog my own memory as well there was a, an Italian football album in yeah. the very early 90s and that was bought for me and I was very much walked through that and it lasted the novelty lasted a month or less so I don't think it, it, I, can, I can really say it was my thing. You know, the first one I really went for was Premier League 94. But I, I do, I just have these little vague flashbacks of that Italian one, you know? Yeah, yeah I think I'm the same. I think 94 was the, the the album that I was like my mission to complete. But I have like yeah. half completed albums from Euro 92. And, and I think there were some Panini ones just before that as well. But yeah, Merlin and the Premier League, they kind of, they were the awakening for sticker albums for me for definitely. Um Amazing to talk to you, Liam, finally on, on this show. And it's, it's nice that we share so many the same memories. Um, let's leave this. I'll ask you this when I emailed you before. Unless there's anything else you want to pick out um, and, and mention before we get into our final little segment. Is there anything else that you wanted to give a quick shout out to? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just give a base one. Is As you touched on at the start of the show, I have begun my own podcast project. That is because WCW. And fittingly, you know, WCW officially... The WCW era began when it seceded from the National Wrestling Alliance yep. in 1990, which is lovely because other than the year 2000 and the first 
three months of 2001 when it was bought by WWE. That makes it very much a 90s thing. And sometimes we like to laugh about how naff the things of the 90s are, but we love them anyway. Well, that is basically the show. It's myself, uh, a seasoned 10-year journalist of, of not just football, but predominantly fight sports and professional wrestling, the predetermined fight sport, along with uh, Dean Ayas, who for 25 years has been working in British wrestling. Anyone who watches any local wrestling on these shores will surely know the twisted genius Dean Ayas of Frontier Wrestling Alliance and Real Quality Wrestling and, and various other He's currently works as a commentator for IPW, who are having a fantastic couple of years and have got a great 2018 to come. We host Because WCW. You can check us out on iTunes and Podbean. And I'd really implore you to do so because none other than Ash Rose is going to be on at some point. I, I don't, I don't yeah. care how long it takes. We are going to get him on. I, I dread to think what show he's going to pick because I know Exactly. I know exactly what his voting pattern has been when we were dumb enough to leave it to people to vote, and he would always leave us watching the most turgid show that that would absolutely get me swearing and cursing. So I don't know what you're going to pick, but yeah. I shudder to think. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to spoil it for you because I need to, to go back and have a real deep think about that one because there's some you, you, there's some shocking ones that towards the end of that the decade for sure. I mean, I was still oh, watching yes. it. TNT Friday nights after Cartoon Network. That was my haven. Um, I was a WCW man over a WWE. I know. It's, I'm, I'm sorry. I was. That was me. I preferred Goldberg over Stone Cold. That was what I used to prefer. But yeah, we'll get to that definitely. Um, that's switcheroo because that was a good cheap plug there Liam um, back to the football in the 90s um, give us a player we haven't done this for a while and I, I wanted to do it with you because I thought we would uh, test the boundaries of your 90s um, a 90s player that time forgot so go on give us a name that we may not remember from that glorious decade I'm going to turn the tables on you guys. I, I think I, I think I'm going to test the boundaries of your knowledge because this right one, on. this is a friend of mine through my work in the industry. Oh, wow. I, I managed to do a few uh, a few interviews with this chap. He's you know, as you can imagine from what I'm saying here, he does have tenure at Charlton Athletic. He was a goalkeeper for Charlton in the '90s. American goalkeeper by the name of Mike Aman. Mike do you remember him? Aman. It's ringing a very vague bell, but not well, not instantly, no. Gord, tell us yeah. more about him. So, he, he played for Charlton between 1994 and 1996. A very low-key era of our existence where I think we made the playoffs once, lost in the semi-finals, if I agree, but that's about it. This was after we got the value back, but before we were doing anything with it to the point of making it to the top flight. So, it was a transitional period, but he, uh, according to my good friend, he played officially <laughs> played 30 league appearances. Uh... And yeah, he, he, most of his career, as you can imagine, he was he was in America. He started yeah. with Los Angeles Heat and East Los Angeles Cobras. This was before MLS, and it, in the end, after he left Charlton, he was one of the founding fathers, you could say, of MLS, playing for the Kansas City Wizards, the Metro Stars, you know, the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars, who go on to become the New York Red Bulls. And uh, he finished his career at DC United. He retired due to uh, several injuries. In fact, he, he actually was able to sue his uh, his doctor, malpractice, got a settlement uh, because of a, of a procedure that went wrong on him, and he ended up retiring. But he became a very prominent 
local media entity come over and do a lot of BBC spots and things like that. Got to, as I said, I got to interview him a few times myself, and he ran. If I remember correctly, uh, at one point it was called Twenty Four Seven Goalkeeper. I think it may now be called GK Icon USA. He runs a goalkeepers academy in Virginia. Oh, okay. Oh, um, do you know what I've just googled him and the way it's spelt because I'd spelled it wrong and I kind of remember now I see the name spelt and I've seen this picture yeah. uh, it, I remember because he would have was he been in the same time as Bob Salmon would he have been around the same time after that I believe yeah but, um, but I did yeah. yeah the name Amman I kind of ring does ring a bell now I've seen how it's spelt and I've seen the picture I think that's a Panini sticker I can see I'll put it on Twitter for people to guess because that'll, that, be, that'll be a tough that sounds one. about right yeah <laughs> that'll be a tough one but um, yeah, another little tidbit. His son actually had a cup of coffee over here. Aria Man was on Watford's books a few years oh, ago. Good fact. He's wearing I think a lovely. He went, he went back stateside, but he was on Watford's books at one point. He's wearing a lovely '90s goalkeeper in that picture. A goalkeeper shirt that's full of colours, full of yellows and greens and stuff. Just only like a '90s goalkeeper uh, kit should. Um, oh yes, and and he'll be so pleased to find out that I nominated him for a feature that says. Time forgot him. <laughs> he'll he'll be over the moon. That's well. That's what they still want to recall these players and give them their due and their you know the way they uh, affected us in the nineteen nineties. So yeah, Mike Amman, well done. You're in our nineties time forgot club. Um, well, thank you very much, Liam. Really enjoyed that. Good looking back at Renford Rejects. Good bit about Charlton. Good bit about stickers. Pleasure to have you on. It means I have to have you back on very very soon. But if people want to get in touch with you and talk anything from your current job, Rob, to your to because WCW or even 90s football where can they find you on the social media on twitter i am at liam hap i was one of those guys that got in early and got my full name uh at liam hap l-i-a-m-h-a-p-p-e uh to be honest through there you can find most of my other channels i, I write predominantly for yahoo sport uk i write for various other places as well such as uh 442 boxing monthly uh i'll be i'll be doing some content for wrestle talk shortly you know they've just show. published a they've just published a, a print edition that is very much uh, another little 90s throwback for you guys if you remember the old wrestling magazine Power Slam I used to write for uh, it ah yeah. man well, well if, if you like Power Slam Wrestle Talk magazine is the one oh, three good. issues in Keep keep checking it out because the the content's expanding. And I'm very proud to be a part of it. Oh, good stuff! No, it needs another title on on the uh, newsstands because um, FSM is good, but I think it needs a bit of competition to make it better, as as everything does. As, as WWE had in the in the nineties with WCW, bringing it back to because WCW. Well, thank you, Liam. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, thank you guys for listening and downloading. As always, I've been Ash Rose. You can follow me at Ash Rose UK because unlike Liam, someone's got at Ash Rose and they haven't tweeted since 2014 damn them same on Insta- <laughs> same on Instagram as well Blood- get rid of your handles if you're not going to use them or follow the show at AK90s uh, I, this has been a life and kick in I've been Ash Rose until next time keep it 90s Hello.